Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Good morning, Brian Crisp. Welcome to Rider on the Road. We are recording live episode number seven after an awful lot of technological issues and Brian has been very patient. I've tried to introduce him twice and failed miserably. So Brian, can I ask you to introduce yourself to all our guests at Rider on the Road? No worries at all. Technology is not my thing either. It always fails on me. So complete sympathy for you. Um, my name's Brian Crisp. I've been a journalist for over 30 years now. Um, started at the Illawarra Mercury in Wollongong. Worked in Brisbane at the Courier Mail, at the Sunday Mail, at the Sunday Times in Perth, Cumberland Newspapers in Sydney, back to the Courier Mail. And for five years I had the best job in News Corp Australia when I was the national travel editor. So um, got to see the world and got someone else to pay for it. So it doesn't get any better than that. And dear listeners, that's why we've got Brian here with us today as digital nomads and as travellers on the road and making our living on the road. Some of you out there I know will want to get make some money out of travel writing now i'm not sure that that's so easy nowadays because there is so much content out there so i'd like to talk to brian about how things have changed in the travel writing game since um you you started out brian look i think um the biggest difference is uh probably a decade ago travel writing was a career and it was um journalists who had been you know, writers for a long time who understood the travel business. Um, and it was a select group of people. It was hard to crack into it. Um, but there was a degree of professionalism to it. Today, and look, this isn't a bad thing, but everyone is a travel writer, basically. You know, there's everyone, some people will start a blog and become a really, get a good audience and become a successful travel writer. That way, some people will become, you know, Instagram famous with, thousands of followers because of their beautiful photography. So as a result of that, there's so many more travel writers out there now trying to make a living out of it. And if you're in a position like I was where you're, you're a, an editor and you get to have a look at all the content that comes in, what you find is you, you are blessed for choice. There's just so many options out there for you. So but to be successful, you need to be really, really good and also you need to be prepared that the competition is going to be very good and fierce. And, like, at various times when I was doing Escape, I'd be getting 50 to 60 submissions a day. And if you look at that, that's 350 a week. And Escape was the biggest buyer of content in Australia, and in any given week we'd buy 20 stories. So there'd be 330 people who would get a no thank you. And it didn't mean there was anything wrong with their copy, it just meant that, you know, I, I for whatever reason I'd choose the other tw- you know, the other twenty successful ones. So it's a pretty tough market, and I think that's the difference these days. And as you can see now, there's a whole lot of people who 
simply use the travel writing as a way of funding their own travels. Yeah, and I think that um, sums up pretty much the story of how I met you, Brian. Uh, I know Graham Kimlow, who was our first uh, podcast interviewee. He runs Travel Writers Radio in Melbourne, and he's the Australasian president of the International Food, Wine and Travel Writers Association. And he's been a bit of a mentor to me, Brian, and he said when I um, started chatting with you or working with you that... Most travel writers in Australia would kill to have your ear. Now, me not knowing anything about this and not really being aware of what I'd stumbled upon in your in your presence, I didn't understand what he was talking about. But since then, I've learned what a AAA journalist is and I've learned what it is to have the ear of editors. And, of course, I'm not writing travel um, travel articles anymore but how I met Brian was through LinkedIn and there's a lot of stuff out there at the moment that says LinkedIn is a wonderful thing for networking is that are you finding that that you use that a lot more now than you used to yeah look I, I, I'm very active on LinkedIn uh, in terms of um, uh, building relationships with people not necessarily I don't do a lot of posting about content and stuff like that but I do find it a great way to um, to you know find people who are doing similar stuff and follow what they're what they're posting and what they're saying. Look, it was only a matter of a month ago. Um, I needed a story about um, kids in outback Queensland, and I found a guy who I found, did some web searching. Found a guy who'd obviously been on a recent trip um, with kids in outback Queensland. And found him through LinkedIn, sent him a message, didn't know him from Bar of Soap, but I'd read his copy. Obviously, he could write. And I just linked with, got got in touch with him through LinkedIn. He ended up writing a story for us and made $1,000 out of it. So, it, it you know, it's as simple as as um, uh, as you've got to be there. You've got to be out there. And, you know, most people out there would be posting what they're writing. So people like me who are editing can go, Oh, I suddenly need a story on you know um, the south of France, and then you can go. Ah, oh, I can see Mel's just been there. I'll contact her. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking of going there one day soon. I'd love to be in the south of France. In the middle. In the meantime, I'm in Brisbane. <laughs> uh, and it's true. One of the things we need to be very aware of now is that competition is fierce, and there is a lot of stuff out there. But making yourself available and being visible are two key things that I've learned in the years that I've been doing this because if you haven't got a shop front through your website or through a podcast like this or through a blog, people just can't find you and without being found, you're not going to get any work. No, that's true. You, you have to – and look, this, this is the best piece of advice I can give anyone. Make sure your phone number and your website and your email – come up when 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 you look at when I look at your profile on LinkedIn I, I'm actually looking to contact you so if I can see a phone number or an email address I will automatically just grab you that way and, and make contact with you so you'd be, you'd be surprised how many people have profiles on LinkedIn or have websites and when you hit the contact me button it sends you down a you know a, a path that takes four or five emails to find someone you know, make yourself available is, is really good advice. Okay. okay, Brian. Well, look, it's been nice talking to you because that's the piece of advice we wrap up with. Thank you. 
<laughs> You've just cut out the whole rest of our podcast, but don't worry about that. <laughs> um, moving forward, Brian and I, before this podcast, were talking about how things are changing so very, very quickly. And I was telling him the story about how I put up my first Facebook video. And then Brian started talking about Snapchat. Would you like to run us through, you were talking a little bit about how people are advertising on there and putting content onto Snapchat and how it's taking over as one of the best medium for advertisers and content marketers. Look, I think if you look at how things change and how dramatically quickly things are changing and the way we communicate, and especially the way we communicate with millennials, millennials are are a vast purchasing um, powerhouse and you can't communicate them with them in the traditional ways. So a lot of com- companies are trying new things, trying new platforms. And one of the ones that's working really well at the moment is Snapchat. And it is, you know, that 15-second video that, you know, allows you to, to be silly and play a game and put a mask on or whatever it is. But Cadbury just used it with um, Crunchy in the UK. They spent something like £900,000. It was their biggest advertising campaign for the year. And basically it was allowing you to put a, a golden honeycomb halo around your face and Snapchat it and the words Cadbury came up and, and Crunchy came up. And I think they had 9 million views and they viewed it as their most successful marketing campaign of the year. Now, in, re- in real terms, if, if you were to have told them five years ago that you'd be spending a million pound, almost a million pound on Snapchat, firstly, they would have said to you, well, what's Snapchat and how do you think it's going to work for us? So I think that's the, that's the difference. We, we now produce content in a different way. You know, 80% of the internet by 2017 will be video. Um, and if you're not producing video content um, or audio content like this, um, you won't have any cut through. So already Google gives you a higher ranking if you have a video attached to your story. So, you know, in two years' time, if, if everyone communicating is not doing either audio or video, they will be way, way, way down the Google search rankings. Yeah. What what you're saying is really scary, Brian, but it's also really, really exciting. Uh, When I put my little one-minute test video up this morning and I saw the response and I spent the whole morning answering um, people who linked into me and said, great, good luck with your podcast launch uh, and all the rest of it, I was absolutely stunned because my little one-minute video this morning was just my daughters teaching me how to use... Facebook video and it was just a matter of I said can anybody out there hear me and all these little thumbs started running across the bottom of the page and I was still in my pajamas and I'm going okay guys okay world I was hoping nobody would see this <laughs> but you know family in Goulburn um, which is down near Canberra and Sydney um, who I didn't even know were on Facebook were, were linking in and saying hi Lindy how are you you know and I'm going oh my god who who is seeing this thing and if that's the power of a one minute um, video, uh, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. I dread to think what you could do if you were really, really tried. Yeah, and look, it's it's about connection. It's about feeling connected to someone. And I will feel more connected to you if I can see what you look like. If I can go, hey, you know, that person's around about the same age as me. 
They're saying things that I agree with. Um, so there's all of that kind of thing that gets you the connection. But, you know, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be genuine. They just have to trust you in order to come back and look again and and start to follow you. And once they have that connection with you, they will follow you forever. So the, there is the ability to just do it and have a good result. And there's also a really complicated science behind it where if you're a business, you can work out exactly when people follow you, when they're most likely to be live on on whether it's Facebook or whether it's Twitter or whether it's Instagram or whether it's um, Snapchat. So, you know, analytics will allow you to work out exactly when the best time to post something is. And when you go down to that level, that's when you actually start to see the connection that will drive traffic. And if you're selling stuff, it will make, help people consider your product. Your product still has to be good in the end, but all you can do with this kind of marketing is get people to consider it. And once they consider it, then they'll have a look at it and make a decision whether they follow you or not. Yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of what you're saying to me now is a lot of what I've read in my research. We're very much into the indie publishing world here at Writer on the Road, encouraging people to tell their stories and taking ownership of their stories because I've, I strongly believe that everybody's got a story to tell and these new technologies are allowing us to tell them. And that's very well and good. A, you've got to take a chance and put yourself out there, which is what I've done in the last few years and what I'm doing now. But B, you've got to understand, as you said, that wonderful word, analytics. And that's where I get scared um, because I just haven't got that kind of brain. I like writing romance stories. I like talking to people. I like doing the easy stuff. But without that analytics, you can't target correctly and so I'm in the process of doing a few courses um, one of them is uh, Nick Stevenson one of them is Mark Dawson on how the analytics side of things work and I've got to tell you Brian my eyes still glaze over and I'm going oh can I just press play and see what happens but you can't you can't avoid it no and look we do it at the at the Korea Mile now with and, and look the level of analytics would scare most people, but a business can come to us and say, you know, I want to talk to people who are 18 to 24. I want to talk to people who only live in these three suburbs and I want to talk to them on a Thursday between five and seven. How do we do it? And we can work out the best method. You know, we, we, we know analytics allow you to understand what people in that suburb are doing at a particular time and how best to reach them. So it's, it's kind of... Um, it, it's kind of scary in some way. And, and if you look at programmatic advertising, which is that advertising that just follows you around the web, you know, I, I, there's a great story of, of the owner of a company going to his marketing manager, and I won't say the names, but he said, why are we advertising on a bloody camping site? It's got nothing to do with what we do. And the marketing manager said to him, we're not. We advertise on you. We follow you around the now. We don't, we don't buy advertising. We buy you. And the owner of the company was like, oh, no, that, that's just way too complicated. <laughs> it, 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 you can get that message across through um, at News we have a product called Unruly, which allows you to fill um, videos, for, um, deliver videos to certain people at certain times. It's an incredible piece of 
um, analytics and technologies that allows me to pop a video up that you will be interested in, that there's more chance you're going to watch it because it perfectly appeals to you. Brian, you offered for me to come down and do this interview live at your office and I thought, oh, no, I don't know how to interview live. I need to use all this equipment that just failed spectacularly. <laughs> now, that, now that you've said that, I'm going, can I come down to your office and have a look at all this stuff because that's what's going to educate me for my future needs. And my one of my questions to you was, how did you go from travel writing, which is so romantic, into content editing, which I went, oh, that's advertising, that's really boring. Talking to you for five minutes, I can see how you've made that transition and how you've taken ownership of it. What made you move in this direction? Um, When I left um, News Corp, I went and joined Flight Centre for 12 months. Flight Centre is an amazing company in that um, they are very much aware of how people travel, when they travel, all the analytics behind people's decision-making. And they're also, at the time when I was there, very interested in in tailoring the content to the right people. So if you look at Canada, the average ticket for Canada is 27 days. So it's no use talking to people about what to do in Canada for a week because the average person goes for four weeks. So when you're developing content for them, You want to do a four-week content plan, basically, because that's how people holiday there. So I went to a conference. Flight Center sent me to a conference in uh, Cleveland called Content Marketing World, and it changed my world. It was just the most amazing thing. But the basis of what I do now is still storytelling. It's still journalism, but it's storytelling that's based around brands, and brands have fantastic stories to tell. Uh, you just have to, um, you know, you, you just have to dig deep, and then you have to find what their story is. There's a kind of general rule: seventy percent of it needs to be stories, and thirty percent of it can be about the brand. People will people will watch, and they will listen, and they will read as long as it's a genuine story. And you know, we were we went this week to. Um, Grand Prix Mazda, and I was sitting down with um, Mr. Camilleri, who started that business. Um, you know, that's a family business, you know, father and three sons. They sell cars, but can you imagine the story behind three sons working with their father over 20, 25 years? And imagine what it must have been like when he started that business you know, and the risks that he would have taken. It's a fantastic story to tell because, you know, if you dig deep, most of us want a family connection. These guys have a family connection 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, you know, it, it's a good story to tell. And that's the key to, to what I do now. It's still storytelling, but it's storytelling about brands. Yeah. And, even, and I love, sorry. I love it. I think yeah. it's good fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I can tell by your demeanour and as I'm chatting to you, I'm getting very excited because I'm working on my brand and, and our listeners are working on their brands, but also you, you're making connections with people and getting products out there in a way that, as you said, the younger generation want to hear it because you can't sell to young people anymore because they know everything, they've got everything, but they're out there living these wonderfully amazing lives and they're cashed up. Yeah, look. 
The best example of that is a campaign that we've just finished with a company called Mahindra, which is an Indian car manufacturer company. And they make SUVs. They're just, they've just launched into Australia their first automatic SUV. We sat down with them and said, well, what, what makes you different? And one of the things that we came up with is as a company, they have a tremendous um, depth of feeling for so corporate social responsibility. And we started talking to them, and, and it works out. Now, India is not a country that treats women well, historically, ne never have been. It's hard. You, you would rather be a boy in India than a girl. Um, so Mahindra actually pays for the education of 10,000 girls every year in that country. In the last 12 months, they've put 4,000 toilets into schools for girls because girls didn't have toilets at schools in India. Now, if you can tell that story, someone who reads that story will go, they must be a good company. They're doing something right. I'll consider their car. But from my point of view, it's just a fantastic story about the guy, Mr Mahindra, who came back from two years in America, understood how Americans give, probably better than anyone else in the world, and he came back and he said, my country needs to do that, otherwise my country is not going to develop. And that's one guy who, you know, every year changes 10,000 girls and makes gives them an education. That That's a great story. But it also will bring you closer to the brand. Yeah. And, and it's at the heart of Rider on the Road. Remember I started by saying to everyone out there, do you have a story to tell? I'm guessing what I'm hearing from you, Brian, is people like you want to hear people's stories. Um, not only would you make a great guest over dinner with a glass of red wine, you you are out there meeting and doing and seeing how the world's moving forward. Um, a lot of us, I guess, are flat-footed, but the more I get into this online world and entrepreneurs and business marketing and content marketing, there are people like you who are showing us the way forward. Uh, look, it, it's a really exciting um, it was, you know, the, in marketing terms, it was the buzzword last year. This year is kind of the test of whether whether businesses will see a return on the investment in content, and that that's always going to be a challenge in marketing. Um, but you know, as you said, all, all the people who are listening to you are out there, and they have the great benefit of. And this is the the thing you try and instill. You know, I, I have three daughters, and you know, you try and say to them, look. You'll learn more about people by asking them questions and listening to them than you will ever learn by talking to them. So, you know, and if you can listen and interpret people's stories and then tell them in a way that's engaging, you'll always have an audience. So your brand will always have an audience because you're a good storyteller. And and that's, you know, we all crave to know. I, 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 always, um, I always love to know, you know, how authors you know, what their process is, how they write. You know, if you ask a musician how he writes a song or she writes a song, you know, it, it, it's a fascinating story to be able to look at something and sum up in four or five words the emotions of a person. And that's what we do. We, we some, you know, some do it fantastic. There's great writers. There's, you know, 
people who are workmanlike and there's people who probably shouldn't be writing. But you know, all of us come together and every now and then there's a gem and you just go, wow, that's, that's a piece of writing that will change someone's life. And that's what, that's what you know, in what we do, that's the lucky thing about it. You know, you, it, it's a great career. Yeah, and anyone who, who wants to write and is, is brave enough to get out there and do it, I totally agree with you, Brian. There are so many opportunities. Who would have thought that I'd be sitting here at the ripe old age of 55 starting on this wonderful new venture? Um, I've got my caravan and my vehicle. My children are insisting on going to school, which makes me so cross because I'm going, I want to go out and play. And they're going, no, 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 mummy, we've got to do this first. And I'm going, no. Um, but we will be getting out there every holidays. And I am notorious for dragging the chain by stopping and talking to everyone that we meet. Uh, and especially when there's people out there with wonderful uh, RVs and rigs and they're doing things that I could only dream about. And some of them are actually writing, writing it down which is good as well, but they don't know what to do with their stories. Yeah, and look, you know, a blog is a great start. Um, a blog is something, the challenge of it is you have to feed it. You know, you can't, you can't post once a month because, you know, people come back every day or every week. And, you know, the fear with anybody who creates a blog or any piece of content is, you know, will anybody ever read it? And, you know, or you, you're not writing it for anyone else, you're writing it for yourself. And, um, you know, that's the job. I don't think, I don't think you should be looking at, at that kind of thing as an immediate career. It, it's a slow burn. You have to build an audience and you have to build an audience by finding someone and being good enough that they'll come back tomorrow and look at what you write tomorrow. But, you know, it, a blog is, a, is an old fashioned journal, you know, you know, Mum used to have notebooks around the house where she wrote stuff down and, you know, to grab that, you know, 10 years later or something and, and look at it. And I, I remember my first overseas trip, I think I was, uh, my first overseas trip by myself, I was 20 and I, I still have the My Trip travel journal because, you know, when I was 20 there was no internet, there was no anything like that, so you had to use pen and paper. But I've still got that. And, you know, you look at it now and you go, wow, you know, oh, I was here, I was there. I can't remember it, but I was there because I was 20 and I was pretty much drunk. But, <laughs> um, you know, but you, you've got that written down, that memory, and that's that's what's the great thing. You can always go back to it. And that's my blog that I have is, is more just for me to go back and remind myself of where I've been and how lucky I've been to go so many places. Now, Brian, I was researching for this story and I couldn't find anything on you because I was obviously looking in the wrong places. You're telling me you've got a blog. Yeah, I've got a blog. It's called The Chronicles of Brian because apparently Life of Brian was already taken. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, don't, I think there's something wrong with it at the moment because someone sent me a text yesterday. They said they tried to get onto it and Google said it was dangerous. Well, I can assure you it's not dangerous. Um, but, yeah, that's where I write most of my stuff and... Um, Oh, that's where I keep all the stories that I've written over the past five years, just so that, um, I, look, in my mind, it's it's more just so that at some day the girls can have a look at it and go, wow, you know, he went to a lot of places. He didn't, never, didn't take us, but he went. <laughs> I, I will definitely um, reference that in the show notes today because I'm, as soon as I get off here, I'm going to go and have a look. Uh, <laughs> how I... How I Tell me 
technology that's dangerous because I obviously need to fix something. Oh, oh, well, I've got there's a lot of um, romance writers getting kicked off Amazon at the moment because they're being told that their content is too explicit. But so there's something going wrong with search engines somewhere as well. Uh, a romance novel can't be too explicit, surely. That's what it's supposed to be. Uh, I, I've i got to tell you, I had a romance novel for Mills and Boone 25 years ago and I put the re- rejection slip up on Facebook recently and it was what, I'm a great writer and I am punchy and punchy and all those kinds of things, punchy and punchy, punchy and lazy. <laughs> And what it came back was that my, be careful, my love scenes don't become a little too tacky at times. And I laughed because I read this scene and I put that up on Facebook as well. There is nothing that is even undressed in it. And I thought, compare that 25 years ago to what happens on the internet now. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, um, yeah. And, and look, that that is one of the, the, the lessons of journalism, you know, what, what you can get away with today versus what you could get away with five years ago or ten years ago. Like um, Sydney Morning Herald is, is, is really grown up in its approach. If you look online, you'll see, you know, the F word written. You, you wouldn't see I don't think the Courier Mail would publish that. But, um, you know, we're more relaxed about how conversations now, we're more relaxed, more explicit about, you know, what we would describe and what would be R-rated today versus what it was. Times change. It's just, um, it's just. I'm almost fifty-five as well, and uh, I, I, I once said I'll never be old, but I, I find now that I, I'm listening to music that was made in 1970s and going, that's a that's a pretty good song, and then realizing it's 35 years old. I had um, four teenagers in my house last night because we're on school holidays. And I went to bed at 8 o'clock, as I do, and listening to their music and listening to their laughter and their chat and their talk, and I thought, wow, the new generations coming through have so much to offer. Uh, A lot of the digital nomads that I see out and about and the photos they're putting up and the lives that they're living, me from a country town called Goulburn in New South Wales, this world is just there for their taking. Oh, absolutely. But I think I think you've got to reference it. I, I gave my, my eldest daughter when she turned 16, um, I gave her an iPod because we were still doing iPods then, um, and I downloaded um, the Rolling Stones' greatest hits and the Beatles' greatest hits on it. And she came to me after, after listening to it for a while and she said, gee, the Rolling Stones are good. I said, and they're as old as your grandfather, darling. You know, it, don't, you know you, you, I think... I, I think that's the thing um, that this generation could benefit from, and that would be referencing the generation probably even before us a little bit more because, um, you know, if you, if you look at it, um, funny funny story, but we, we wrote a story once, uh, and I think it was for uh, APT or something like that, and it was about river cruising and it was about pulling up in Amsterdam and, and I'd written about the red red light district and the PR person said, oh, you can't write about that. You know, my my mother and father or my grandparents wouldn't want to read about that. And I went, how old are your grandparents? And they, she said, you know, they were born in 1945 or something. I said, they grew up in the summer of love. You know, the red light district is not going to worry them. You know, they, they were probably... You know, dropping acid tablets and doing all sorts of things that you don't know about. And she was horrified to think that that's what the life her, her grandparents may have led. So I, I just think there's a great 
I think I agree with you 100% that this generation has the opportunity for a whole lot of stuff that we um, could only dream about. I, I just really think they need to also reference where we've come from a little bit more. Yeah. But I guess I am getting old. Yeah. I, um, I'm teaching at a private boys' school here in Brisbane at the moment and my students are 13, 14, 15 and the stories that I tell them are about an era like pre-2000 that they have no understanding of, no awareness of and what's there a life before mobile phones, you know, and uh, what's an iPod? <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, it, it's even um, um, my eldest daughter was born in 1989 and, you know, I, I, as you know, that's when the internet started. So, you know, I would say to her, you know, you had to go to the library to do stuff. And she's like, what? <laughs> what do you mean the library? You just look it up on the net and you go, no, no, there was no looking it up on the net. There was no, um, you know, Google uh, the answer to your mathematics question and it pops up to you. Oh, everything we're doing here with my writing business and getting it online and putting my courses online, all that kind of stuff, my 16-year-old daughter who you saw pop in and help me earlier she gets stuck and we're turning, you know, YouTube clips into audio to MP3 to get them transcribed, all that kind of stuff. She just Googles it. We've got the iPad Pro sitting here. We've got you sitting here. And she's on the sidelines Googling everything how to do it. And I thought, how amazing is that, that we can sit here surrounded by technology and we can work it at the drop of a hat. And that's how we came across Facebook videos this morning. We just quickly Googled how do you work it and we put yep. it up there. And I thought, okay. And it was only by luck that you came aboard and said, in order to make it of professional quality, you need this other piece of equipment. Um, and we do want to be professional because there is so much stuff out there. Um, but what's your thoughts on making things as high a quality as you can so that you can get noticed above the noise? I looked at you know, it's, it's like anything. The better you can produce it, the better the better it will be. The better quality and the better experience it will be for people viewing it. Um, you know, I, I think you have to um, give yourself every opportunity to produce the best product you can. It will still come down to how you resonate with an audience, whether they like you, whether when they see you, whether whether you ask good questions. There's still always going to be the personal part to it, but you might you might as well have all the technology as good as possible so that you can get the best result possible. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you, you go and hear a band and they've got, you know, crappy amplifiers and stuff like that, and it doesn't matter how good they are, they're just going to sound bad. But if you put them good, with good equipment, they're going to sound great. So you, you, you give yourself the best chance to excel that you can. Yeah. And look, I've now taken 35 minutes of your time and that's just been recording. I don't even want to go to before that. And so I'm trying to keep these things to 30 minutes and they're always blowing out um, because I talk too much and my guests talk too much in my defence. <laughs> we, um, we are struggling with technical issues on my podcast because I haven't educated myself to the extent that I need to be. The, the systems that I'm using are falling down. But the good thing about that, and this is what I tell my students, everything is a learning curve and everything you do will be better the next time. So if you can't get it right the first time, you just keep trying until you do get it right. 
because I'm sure in your industry you've watched people come through from a standing start to go all the way. Oh, look, and it's so true. If you if if you listen and learn from your mistakes, there's there's nothing wrong with making mistakes because only in making mistakes will you un, will you understand how things need to be done. But you know, I've seen some great travel writers who started awful, um, and you, all you do is say to them, "Look, you know, go go away and read these four things, or go away and you know." Think about this before you write it, and you know they will genuinely come back, and they're better and better every time they do it. So, you know, all credit to you for stuffing up because it just means <laughs> time you won't make the same mistake. Oh, I probably will, but that's all right. Uh, um, all right, we'll, we'll round it off now. Now, there is not a thing that we've spoken about today uh, that people aren't going to learn from your expertise, Brian. The questions that I had ready to ask you about why on earth did you move from travel writing to content marketing have been blown out the window. It's it's obvious that you're on the do we use the words cutting edge anymore of of the future? Um, but not. no, I don't know what we use. But these two 55 year olds are going to certainly keep moving on into the future, and it's really really exciting. Ah, oh, look, I'm looking forward to. Uh... Uh, like anybody my age, I can get my super in two years. So I think I'm going to hit the road and join your listeners. <laughs> I've got, I've already got my super calculated, and I already know what rig I'm going to buy. Excellent, good, good decision. <laughs> I'll probably see you at the at the uh, RV shop soon. Then. Yeah. All right. Look, fantastic talking to you, Brian. I will drop the bottle of red wine off to you. Uh, right. um, if nothing else, that to learn about some of these products that you're talking about, unruly and. Um, all those little analytical things that you, you've got going for you um, that probably some of us who are starting out with our brands really need to focus on. So thank you for being such a wonderful, wonderful sport. And I'll ditch this um, bunch of questions that I've got over here that I was going to ask you because they're all old school and irrelevant. So hugs to you and we'll talk again. Okay, then. Have fun. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Bye. Bye.